Well, good morning again. I'm so excited as we continue uh, our study uh, through the book of Philippians. Uh, and again, I say this week after week that Philippians is one of my favorite books uh, of, uh, of the entire Bible. And so uh, if you're looking for a place to start this new year on uh, where to read the Bible or where to, you know, begin this journey of our Christian disciplines of getting more in tune with what God has to say outside of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which describe the story and the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I would say outside of that, Philippians is probably one of the best places to start. And for the last few weeks, we've been seeing different themes of Philippians, whether it's uh, reconciliation within conflict and relationships, uh, whether it's about uh, thanksgiving, whether it's about being thankful for looking at the whole picture of where God has been taking us and bringing us, uh, this book is really filled with a lot of things that were actually happening uh, in a real time, uh, in a real place. And so uh, my hope is that as we read through Philippians and study Philippians together, that this would actually have implications and bear fruit uh, even in your own life. And, and so Philippians chapter 3, I love what Philippians chapter 3 says, especially the verses that Ashley read, uh, as it pertains to this goal in uh, running and pressing forward and not looking back. Uh, and that is kind of what we're going to talk about today. So oftentimes, uh, God calls us to a goal, to a destination, to be always moving forward in our lives, and yet there's things that are always hindering us, right? And, and those are very different things uh, and for, all, for all of us. It's different. That hold us, that crank our necks back because we keep looking back on what's behind us that prohibits us from actually moving forward and living life, the life that God has called us to live. And so that's what we're going to talk about. Let me just pray and ask God for his blessing. God, thank you so much that you've called us to constantly be moving forward. And yet that's so hard sometimes for whatever reason. And God, you know everybody's stories here, including my own, that a lot of us, most of us, if not all of us, come here with our own baggage that hold us down. God, may we release that today. So we can live a life that is thriving, the life that you've called us and desire us to live. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Well, when I was a teenager uh, many, many years ago, uh, I have a lot of fond memories. And, and, but one of my most memorable seasons of my life was the season where I was trying to learn how to drive uh, during when I got my driver's permit. You guys, you guys remember that season of your life? Like, I remember I wanted to drive so much growing up that I would always go to the arcade uh, or, you know, uh, places where they have, you know, video games or with their steering wheels. And, and I always looked forward to driving growing up, you know, as a child. And finally the time came where I was able to get my driver's permit. This is before all, the, all these rules that are now applied, which I don't even know all of them. All, for me, I just needed a driver's permit for a year or so and then get my license. I remember once I got my driver's permit, uh, I would learn how to drive with my parents, my mom or my dad. And, and let me tell you, depending on who I drove with, whether it was my mom or my dad, it, it was very, two very different experiences. Uh, my dad was very low-key. He was very, you know, relaxed. As a matter of fact, there was moments where he would say, son, you got to speed up. Uh, and I'd say, well, okay. Uh, because there's times where I remember this one time, he's like, Prince, you're driving dangerously. And I'm like, how am I driving dangerously when I'm going so slow? And he said, exactly. 
you're driving dangerously slow. You have to speed up. And so that was kind of the experience I had when I was learning to drive with my dad. When I was driving with my mom, it was complete opposite. She was uh, not the the backseat driver, she was like more of the backseat anxiety bomb. Like she would be so anxious and so uptight while she was teaching me how to drive, it would make me nervous. And I remember, you know, she'd be one of those where I'm driving and she would say, stop, watch out, there's that vehicle in front of you. And I would say, oh, that huge semi-truck? Yeah, I I see that. Yeah, thank you. Or, Or stop, it's a red light, as if I didn't know you were supposed to stop at a red light. And I say, Mom, I, I get it. I know, I, I know these little rules. Thank you for being here and helping me drive. One thing that I do remember her always ingraining in me as I was driving was always looking at my mirror. So she says, okay, when you drive, you have to constantly uh, glance at your rear view mirror, you know, then look at the street, then the side view mirrors. And I say, okay, Mom, I got it. And, and as I'm driving, I can see her head. She wasn't even trying to pretend to look at the road. She would look straight at me like at my eyes to make sure that it was moving to the mirror and back. She would say, you have to look at the mirror. And I said, okay, I will. And finally, I remember being able to drive by myself. I got my license uh, and, you know, you know, as a first-time driver, I'm nervous and I'm making sure everything is perfect and I'm driving. Uh, and there's this one time I was driving back from school and for some reason, I just imagined my mom being next to me and she was saying, Make sure to look in the mirror. I mean, I, it's like I heard this voice. And I was like, okay. So I put my head up, and I was looking in the rearview mirror. And for some reason, I, I kind of went into a trance. Like I, my eyes were fixed on the rearview mirror. And as I was driving, what got me out of that trance of looking into that mirror uh, was a loud honk. And I finally looked back at the windshield, and I kid you not, it was two lanes, one going this way, one going the other way. I drifted into the other lane to oncoming traffic, and I got honked at with a car that I almost hit head on, where I saw it in the nick of time. I swerved, and I ran into the shoulder, actually, because my eyes were so fixed on the rearview mirror. And you see, uh, although that experience was scary, and in uh, intense, and I hope that for nobody, I don't want to experience that again myself, it becomes an illustration of our own lives. And that it may not be physically driving, but in our own lives, when we are eager to look forward to our future and to be moving forward to, to health, to our faith, to our relationships, to our careers and our jobs or whatever it is, we get so stuck on looking at the rear view mirror that we crash, or, or we can't move forward. We have a hard time uh, believing in ourselves and accomplishing success, or whatever it is, especially in our own Christian life. See, in, in uh, Philippians chapter 3, the verse that we read says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Then he says this, I do not consider myself yet have taken hold of it, but one thing I do is forgetting what is behind and straying towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
He says, Paul says, I have a goal. I have one goal. I haven't reached it yet, but my goal is to move forward. And the question is, well, what is the goal? And the goal is from the beginning of verse 10 is to know Christ. He says, that's my goal. He says, above and beyond everything else, I run the race towards the goal, moving forward. What's that goal? To know Christ. The goal is to constantly be moving forward, Paul says, in this journey. And this word know, in Greek, the original language of, when the Bible, of how the Bible was written, especially the New Testament, there's two separate words that are used for the word know, or yeah, to know. Uh, the first word is eido, uh, E-I-D-O. It says Greek word eido means to have knowledge about something. Uh, like, we may not know somebody personally, but we may have knowledge about them, right? Like, if you look at a, a pro uh, athlete, maybe, you know, it's LeBron James, maybe it's Kobe Bryant, whoever it is, at least I don't personally know them. You might, uh, and if you do, then I want to get to know you as well. Uh, but we may not have actual relationship with these people, but we know about them, which would mean that I do. We, we I do them. We know information. We know who they are. We know what they've accomplished. Uh, and it's less relational and personal. And then there's this second word uh, to know is this word gnosis, where actually we get the word Gnostic or Gnosticism. But it's this word gnosis, meaning to know someone deeply and intimately. Uh, like I know family and friends and people that are close to me. Uh, I don't just know about them. I don't just ido them. There's a gnosis that I have. Like I personally know them in a deep and intimate way. And here in, in Philippians 3 verse 10, it says, I want to not just ido. It says, I want to gnosis Christ. Yes, to know again uh, gnosis, the power of his resurrection. That is the goal, Paul says. That is the journey, and it's not easy. He says, it's like a race, and you got to keep moving forward. you got to keep going. you got to keep pushing. It, literally, it's like a, he compares it to an actual race where you run. When you run and you're pressing for the goal, it's not easy, especially if you want to win, right? It's not easy. You have to give it all that you got. And Paul says, just like a race, it's difficult, but the goal is to gnosis, to know Jesus in a personal and intimate way, not just have information about him. And he says, as we run, Paul literally says, as we run, there's no looking back. Don't look back, because you know what looking back does? It slows you down. I mean, any runner of any race or any competition or any sports will, will, will know and will tell you that this is elementary. When you're going forward, if you look, every time you look back, you're going to slow down. And, Jesus, and Paul says, run the race. Don't look back. Press forward and keep going. But that's so difficult, isn't it? I mean, you know, I look at, you know, my friends' lives, and I look at social media and all these things, I, and as we entered into 2018, I realized that 2017 was pretty unkind, to say the least, for a lot of people. It was difficult, it was painful, 
it was challenging. And maybe you have your own story. Maybe it's not just 2017. Maybe it's even right now. That as followers of Jesus, our job and responsibility uh, is to reach and obtain and live our life to this goal of knowing Christ, gnosis, not just knowing about him, but intimately and deeply knowing him. That's how we move forward in our lives. And yet, there's things that have happened, hasn't there? That hinders us from going forward in knowing Christ. Because in knowing Christ, that changes our lives. We all have our own rearview mirror that we're fixed on. Maybe it's a broken or a lost relationship. Maybe it's a hopelessness in your job or your financial situation. Maybe it's issues with your family. Maybe it's even an addiction. Maybe it's hurt caused by somebody else or even hatred that's caused within your own self. That though the Bible calls us to move forward, pressing on to the goal of knowing Jesus, gnosis, it's difficult because, well, whatever that reason is. And maybe there's a flip side to it. Maybe things aren't so awful, but things are actually pretty awesome. That you can ask for a better life right now. That would be the flip side. And when things are going so well and things are going so awesome, it's often the times where we're most tempted to just go in neutral and just to coast. But it's through knowing Christ that it gives hope in all circumstances, in all, in every single circumstance, whether it's good or bad or ugly, in all of those, knowing Christ is what gives you hope and joy and transformation that's bigger than anything else that is offered outside of Christ. So we must move and run towards it. Again, Paul, like in many places, uh, he uses illustrations that the people that he's writing to would understand. And he uses inside knowledge and illustrations to, to try to prove a point that people would say, oh, yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about. Uh, and he understood that he's, he's talking about a race and running that his audience, that he's writing this letter to the Church of Philippi, would understand exactly what he meant. See, during this time in the first century, there was these games, very similar to the Olympics, and they were called the Ismian Games. The Ismian Games. And it was going on for centuries uh, in the city of Corinth, in Greece, and everyone, people, everyone knew about the Ismian Games that were uh, hosted and held in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. Again, it was a well-known uh, games athletic competition uh, held by the Roman Empire, and it was dedicated to this Greek god named Poseidon. Uh, and the runners in the Ismian Games had one goal, right? Easy, is it, to win. That was it. That was the one goal that every competitor that competed in the Ismian Games had was to win. See, unlike competitions we see today, there was only one winner. That's it. There was no second place. There was no third place. There was no uh, most improved player. There was no greatest effort. Not everyone got a trophy. There was one winner of the Ismian Games. Uh, and the winner of the Ismian Games would bring honor to themselves and not just themselves, but their entire families. 
uh, and would be famous, and they would have status and upward mobility. Uh, and not only that, but they would bring honor to themselves, to their family, and to the Greek god during this time, Poseidon. Uh, and most importantly, the winners of the Ismian Games, not only with the faith, the fame, and the status, and the, and the pleasing of Poseidon, was that they would receive this pine wreath as a crown. So imagine a pine wreath uh, as, a, as a crown. And it says this in 1 Corinthians. It says, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run. Paul's talking about, again, the same race that he's talking about in Philippians. He's talking about uh, the Ismian Games. He's saying, don't you know, and I'm putting my own words in, in the Ismian Games, the, the runners all run in that race, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way uh, as to get the prize. So, so run your heart out so you become the winner. And then verse 25 in chapter 9, it says, everyone who competes in the games does, uh, he goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. He's talking about the pine wreath. But we, he says, as Christians run this race, we do it to get a crown that will last forever. We get a crown that will last forever. See, Paul understands that for these athletes in the game, they, they train hard. They give their lives to win and to honor the Greek god Poseidon. And not only to, to win uh, and honor uh, Poseidon, but to receive this crown, this pine wreath that will literally wilt away. And so Paul is asking, look, there's two types of people. See, two types of people that are running. See, we're all running for something. Every one of us, doesn't matter what you believe, it doesn't matter who you call God. It doesn't matter what you do on your weekends or weekdays. It does, we're all running towards a forward trajectory or a desire to do so. Yet the question that Paul is uh, or indirectly asking is, whatever we're running for to go forward, what is the ultimate prize? Are you running forward for something, a crown, that will actually wilt away? Are you running forward towards something that is temporary? That might mean a lot to you right now, but will have meaning to you tomorrow? Or are you running towards something that will actually last forever, a crown that will last forever, Paul says, and that is being in relationship with God, with Christ that will come in and bring you this everlasting joy in life where it says that will, where you will never thirst ever again. There's others that run towards this crown for water, for breath, for reward, for trophy that will go away. So even in John 4, when Jesus meets a woman at the well, he says, here's this water that you drink. You're going to be thirsty over and over and over again. It's like this, this hamster wheel. You keep going forward to get something you want. Eventually, one day, it's not enough, so you go back, and then you grab it again, and you come back, and you're really going nowhere when Jesus says, I, have offered, I want to offer you a living water where you will never thirst ever again. So the question is this. What are you? What am I? What, what are we as a church? What are we running towards? Again, the reality is we're all running towards something. If you don't know what you're running towards, examine where you spend most of your time. Time is one of the most valuable commodities. Where, where's all your time going? 
your energy, your resources, your bank account, your emotions. I mean, those will be strong indicators of what you're running towards. You know, upward mobility, material possessions, more money. And these are not innately bad things, but, but on January 1st, in the, in the name of New Year's resolutions, we have these goals. And goals aren't bad. But I have New Year's resolutions. I've already broken them, but I start with them on the first week of January. These are good things. But not if these become the number one priority over something, a relationship, an intimacy with knowing God, with what that provides. So we can all make long lists of New Year's resolutions. And again, don't get me wrong, these are all good things, and I do them including myself, but first and foremost, it doesn't cause you running towards knowing Gnosis Christ in a meaningful way. You will be thirsty again. You will receive a crown, a reward, that will actually wilt away with time. Because these New Year's resolutions and all these goals that we have, great things, oftentimes become uh, uh, merely behavior modification tools. And because knowing Christ transcends behavior modification, it becomes a heart transformation instead. And if we're being honest with ourselves, a lot of things that we're striving for is just merely behavior modification. And Christ calls us to something that transcends that, not just behavior modification, but a heart transformation. And it's heart transformation that creates lasting change. And the things we want to accomplish with the list of behavior modifications became a byproduct of a deeper renovation of knowing Christ more. I love what C.S. Lewis says, one of my favorite authors. Uh, he says this. He says, put first things first, and we get second things thrown in. But second things first, and we lose both first and second things. So if we're just pursuing things and behavior changes and modifications, that'll eventually go away. We go back into old habits. We lose the things that we win. The new things that we possess become old. Things that were once meaningful becomes meaningless. But when we put Christ, knowing Christ, gnosis Christ first, then as a byproduct, all these things can happen. Don't worry about all these things that we're pursuing, the temporary. That may happen. Yes, it's in God's time. Yes, it's in God's will. This may happen. But C.S. Lewis, he says, put first things first. And there's natural byproducts of success, of thriving, of winning. I, I'm, this isn't a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that as long as you know Jesus and have a relationship with him, that life will be perfect. You'll be the wealthiest person. you have all the coolest things. As a matter of fact, you, that may or may not be true. I don't know. But what is true is that you'll experience true joy that is everlasting. You'll experience true peace that will never go away. The things that, these things that we pursue can never provide. And if it, if it can provide even a tiny sense of joy, satisfaction, and peace, it's only temporary. But knowing Christ, 
That goal is what brings us joy and peace and contentment in a, in a biblical, in a godly way that nobody can take away, no matter what outside circumstances we have. But then in verse 13, it says, for it is God, or sorry, in verse 13, it says, it says, beloved, I do not consider that I have made it on my own, but this is one thing I do, forgetting. I love that. Paul is saying, look, I have the resume. I have the resume to say, you know what? I, I have all the things that will bring me happy. In the earlier chapter, he says, I come from the best tribe. I come from the best family. I have all the money. I have all the wealth. But he says, I need to forget all of that. Because compared to everything else, I consider it pure rubbish. I consider it a loss, he says. All those things. And I have to forget. And he equates with forgetting with maturity. See, when I was a youth pastor several, several years ago, uh, as a volunteer work, I was an assistant high school uh, wrestling coach at the local high school next to the church. And, and I remember seeing stark differences between the freshman wrestlers and the senior wrestlers. Obviously, between ages of being a freshman and a senior, your body grows and, and, and things happen and you get bigger and you get more skills and, you know, you have more experience. That's obviously true, and I saw that even visually and even working with the athletes. But what I saw was a level of maturity that was a, probably the game changer, the biggest indicator of the difference between a freshman and a senior. And, and the way that I measured maturity within these wrestlers uh, were not, again, not, it didn't have anything to do with their physical bodies or muscles or skills or whatever it is. It was their ability to forget See, when the freshmen, when they would wrestle and they'd lose a match, they'd be down for weeks, for days, for, for whatever it is, and they'd be so down, they'd be so looking at that loss that it would affect the matches that they have in front of them because they hadn't actually matured yet as a wrestler. And, and as time goes on, the biggest difference that I saw with the seniors is that sometimes when they would lose, they wouldn't just dwell on that loss. They would say, okay, I have to move forward and prepare for the next match that I have. Paul equates forgetting, he says, with maturity. With maturity. See, we, a lot of us who's been in sports, we know there's a saying that says you must have a short memory. You must have a short memory. What does it mean to have a short memory in sports? It means uh, that when we play a game and when we lose we ha or do bad or whatever it is, we have to forget and move forward and press on to the goal. And here's the deal. Your ability to not be consumed by your past will govern your ability to move forward. This isn't to say ignore the past. There's a time and place for that. And there's a time and place where our past helps us actually move forward. Yes, that's true. And yes, that's a different sermon. And I'm not saying that we just completely have amnesia against what is a, whatever has happened in the past. But this idea of forget that Paul uses is this word lenthano means forget in Greek. It's an active verb. Meaning we have to surrender. We have to actively release it from our hand and say, God, will you take this? It's too much for me to bear. And it's causing me not to be able to move 
forward. The past, this is encouraging, you guys. The past does not determine our future. The past just doesn't determine our future. So don't let it. What determines our future is this goal of running forward. Running forward into knowing gnosis Christ in an intimate way. And it's through knowing Christ that we have the ultimate satisfaction and joy and peace. And I'm going to invite the worship team back up in this time of response. Will you do me a favor? Uh, as we enter into this time of response, will you do me a favor and will you think about what is it that you're striving for? What is it that we're pursuing? We all have a, a trajectory one direction or another. And is this trajectory bringing you joy for one? And maybe the answer is yes. But is it a joy that Paul says that will last forever and that will not wilt away? Now, again, having goals is not a bad thing. Please have them. Have vision in your life. But not at the expense of knowing Christ more intimately and more deeply. Because it's through gnosis with Christ that is what's life-changing. Everything else becomes a byproduct. Keep first things first. Everything else will fall into place. But if you put second things first, everything falls apart. Everything falls apart. My encouragement to you is to press on to the goal. And may that goal be to know Christ more intimately. Without looking back, without being held onto your past or your circumstances or your situations or even all the great things that are happening. Paul says, I consider it all as a loss. It's this idea, it's this Greek word, uh, zemia, which is the word loss that's used for accounting. He has this resume of all the things that are going awesome, and he makes that list. And then he says, and there's another list, gnosis Christ, to know Christ. And it, like accounting, he compares the list, and he says, this is a loss. And this thing right here is the win. This is the positive. This is, the, this is what I want. Everything else is a wash. In fact, he says, everything else I consider it rubbish. When we were talking about this in our staff, uh, in the pastor's meeting, uh, we actually had to swear. I won't do it because there's kids in here. But Paul was literally using, I guess, what we would consider in America the, the S word. It was very vulgar. And it was a cuss word. It really was, the Bible has swear words in it. And he says, everything else, whether good or bad that I've accomplished in my life, or that's happened to me, it is garbage. It is rubbish. It is bad. It's a loss, especially compared to knowing not just Jesus, but the work that Jesus has done on that cross. Jesus died for us on our behalf, and on the third day rose again to bring us new life. Will we say yes to that life? And if you are brand new here and you have no idea what I'm talking about, will you, I, I will, lunch is on me. I will meet with you and share with you my life and how Christ has changed me. Not, not to be Jesus' defense attorney, 
I'm telling you, our faith, our Christianity, we, we do not need defense attorneys or lawyers for the faith. We need witnesses. The Bible says we need witness in your faith. That doesn't mean cram our faith down someone's throat. Don't try to prove your point. Just share, just be a witness about Christ. Change your life. And may that alone speak. Jesus does not need any more lawyers. He will do that. He's the judge, not us. We're just mere witnesses. May, may I share my life with you? Will you know Christ? Will you give Christ a ch- 2018? Maybe you're in here and you're like, I've done everything. And it hasn't worked. I can almost guarantee a promise to you that living a life following Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. So maybe you want to write that in your connect card. Maybe you just want to reach out. to this. There'll be a prayer team after the service. I'll be up here. There'll be a chance for you to just focus uh, and be in solitude if that's what you want. But take advantage of that time. Take advantage of the time that shortly we have to to sing and to encounter Christ in an intimate way. God, thank you so much that we get to know you intimately. That this this prize where in the Bible the Ismian game says where there is only one winner, but in your kingdom, in your kingdom, this prize, this goal of knowing you is available to anybody and everybody. And so may we say yes to this new life, to surrender our past, to move forward without being held back. In your name we pray, amen, amen.